Welcome to Discussions of Music, Healing, and Consciousness with your hosts Chris Noble and Bill Perotsman. Chris is about to embark on an epic journey. He has plans to visit the ancient musical spaces in Central and possibly South America. So in this episode, we take a look at some of the ways music has informed civilization for many thousands of years. We get curious about how our ancient ways of using music might be re-employed today and offer you some ideas about how to investigate this potential for yourself. We'll be talking about all that and much, much more, as always in these open conversations, here on Discussions of Music, Healing, and Consciousness. I'm watching this amazing show on Netflix called Ancient Apocalypse, with uh, hosted by Graham Hancock. And anyone who's into alternative history or has watched his episode on the Joe Rogan Show um, will be familiar with Graham Hancock's uh, Basically, his 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 way of looking at the past was that, you know, 12,000 years ago was the end of the last ice age. And what happened was it may have completely all the cataclysms that hit this planet could have absolutely destroyed a very advanced civilization from deep antiquity, th- tens of thousands of years ago. Uh, and we're just boom, gone, up the right? pieces. Yeah. And when we he always says we're a species with amnesia and we forget that. You know, where we think civilization started in Mesopotamia was a restarting. It wasn't the start. It was a restart um, of civilization. And we've had many cycles of civilization throughout who knows how long. And it's so cool to see this finally on Netflix in like a mainstream format. It's really well done. It's a great documentary. Uh, And I'm just so giddy watching it because I've been following his stuff and other people's research like this for for years. Just, you know, waiting for the mainstream to to kind of get into it. And uh, now it's finally starting to happen, seeing it on Netflix. And uh, one of the episodes takes place in Mexico. And I will be down there in December throughout this winter, probably maybe down to South America. And I'm just, uh, I'm so excited to go explore some of these ancient sites. And uh, as I look at some of these sites, all the thing that keeps coming back to me is a lot of these buildings from the ancient world are these amazing acoustic chambers. And I, they were on a level of, of knowledge with sound and perhaps, of course, music and acoustics and how, how they all work together. And I want to go down, when I go down there, one of the many things I want to do is experiment with playing music, playing different instruments, chanting, using my voice in these different ancient uh, chambers, temples, etc. And just see what effects happen see what see what happens to myself and and, and others and what, what it sounds like in these spaces and you know that leads me to the to and I as I've researched this a lot already in my life it always leads me to ask the question you know how how did the ancients use sound and and music in their culture and and I feel like we're only scratching the surface because I I, I would say mostly when we look back through history we think of it as a very ceremonial thing and of course it is Right. It definitely is that. But is it more than that? Because we always think, oh, it's just for, you know, a, a ritual and a ceremony. You know, it's always just that's it. I'm like, or <laughs> yeah, could it have been used for other things like, oh, I don't know, healing, using frequency to heal and, and cure people of various ailments? Or was it used to move things? Acoustic levitation. We know that exists now. Were they using it to move these megalithic bl- uh, blocks and bricks and uh, stones that they somehow would form into these beautiful structures? Were they using it for that? Were they using it to create 
advanced technology that we can't even imagine, like stargates or portals or, you know, why were they aligning these sites to all these like summer solstices, winter solstice and the spring and fall equinoxes? Well, or different star constellations. Maybe it's because when you align these things on the planet Earth and you build a site in specific geometry at the specific place on Earth, orienting it to these particular uh, specific areas, maybe that's how you create natural portals or stargates. And the ancients do talk about this kind of stuff. So back backtracking to our topic here, because I'm going a little huh. off here. No, no, is, no. I, uh, but before you do, can I ask a question? Of course. Because if, if there was like the 12,000 year mark is where such civilizations got wiped out, mm -hmm. are they able to tell like how many years before that moment those civilizations might have existed? Like were they 10,000 years old or 20,000 years old? Do we know? Yeah, there's some really interesting dating techniques that are not the traditional ones. There's a branch of astronomy and, and archaeology called archaeoastronomy. And what they do is they they recognize, and this is going on an assumption, so maybe it's not right, but they do. They have found really interesting things. They they go on the assumption that the ancients were obsessed and very meticulous about alignments to the stars. Yeah. And they definitely, definitely, and the most conservative academics all agree, they absolutely align these sites to the stars. And they align them perfectly, FYI, uh, yeah. to these constellations, uh, usually Sirius, which is the brightest star in the sky, or again, spring, fall, equinoxes, whatever. And some of these sites, when you go to them, you when you um, go on Google Map and you you know take a look at them from above and you orient them uh, and align them to these constellations, sometimes they're, they're quite off. And so what archaeoastronomy does was is they go, okay, well, what if they actually were aligned perfectly with the star alignment? And the reason that they're off is because the wobble of the earth, the precession, it's called precession, the wobble yep. of the earth makes it so that over time, thousands of years, those stars won't be where they were at that time anymore. Got and it. so so what we do is we assume that like, oh, they just made a mistake or they just did it for whatever reason, which maybe is true, or is that it's actually so much older that it was when it was built, it was aligned to that constellation or that alignment and so with archaeoastronomy you can use mathematics and, and astronomy and our and the records that we have yeah, and you can go back, back in time right? you back it up and then you back it up to when these sites were in alignment and sometimes dates like 15,000 20,000 30,000 35,000 years old start to come up and you really start to scratch your head then and go okay uh, maybe we're dealing with some some again cycles of civilization how old were these we don't know but yeah. there's some pretty cool methods out there that is that that's the answer I was looking for because I've often thought that here we are in our little how how old do we want to say civilization as we know it is? Yeah, let's six, give it seven thousand years. Six, let's give it let's be generous. We'll give it ten. Sure. Right? Ten thousand. But even that is like a drop in the bucket. <clears throat> so if this is as far as we've come in ten thousand years, and there are other potential places where they date back to, I don't know, twenty, thirty thousand years. So there's a at least a 10,000 year chunk of change where these ancient civilizations were able to go from zero to wherever they got to, right? Yep. Before, definitely. you know, some cataclysmic event wiped everything out. So, okay, if we're in our 6,000th year of a 10,000 year cycle of, you know, learning stuff and getting better, um, I don't feel so bad, <laughs> you know, no, we're doing all right. <laughs> we're doing okay. I mean, we've come a long way theoretically in many ways we've come further than the, some of the agents did, but we also don't know how to like move giant precision cut 
you know, multiple ton blocks to build stuff with, <laughs> you know, the way that yeah. the ancients had to. Or we don't understand our planet because they, they worked with the planet. They used the energy of the planet. You know, they found what Nikola Tesla found, which was free energy that you can get from the earth itself and the cosmos and work with them and the ionosphere of the planet and everything like that. And so they also knew how to work with the, now they, they weren't perfect people. It seems like you look into myths like Atlantis and one of the potential reasons why Atlantis didn't, you know, went to smithereens was because of hubris and ego and kind of like us today <laughs> global it's warming a really good reminder ground it <laughs> yeah or nuclear war i mean the Bhagavad Gita yeah. and the ancient veda texts of uh, ancient india talk about a nuclear war and then oppenheimer who invented the nuke literally quotes the Bhagavad Gita, and he says i'm the second but then i am the creator of the atomic bomb in the modern world and he recognized and you know a lot of these uh the military and the they, they seem to be very interested in ancient history in a way that I feel like almost historians aren't, you know, because they're looking at it a bit more than myth. They're like, well, yes. what if we had some ancient tech that we could capitalize on and, you know, unbeknownst to anyone else, you know, that gives them an advantage. So, you know, and then bringing it back to music and sound for a bit, it's, it's like um, you look at all these tribes and these cultures around the world. And one of the main stories that they all have in common is an ancient flood. There's always this ancient flood myth. And one of the ways in which this myth is preserved is through song, right? Think about all these these tribes and how do you, you know, oh, they're doing all these rituals and all these things. And I think a lot of Westerners, and I, I, I say this because I used to think this when I was younger. And I'm like, this is just kind of like, looks like silly superstition, to be honest. That was my ignorant perspective back in the day. And now I realize a lot of the stuff, <clears throat> far beyond just the spiritual aspects, which are all, there's they, there's a lot of reasons for why they use song. And I'd say one of them is to preserve story. And what more important story would be would there be than the literal like apocalypse to the human race, essentially? Yeah. And yeah. did we all die? No, we're here today. So obviously some of us survived, but it must have decimated 80 to 90% of our population. That's obviously that's a huge, huge trauma. And we carry that trauma in our epigenetic memories in our in our DNA. You know, don't forget, like we have many, 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 many generations. 45 to 50 generations of memory in our epigenetic, epigenetic DNA that we know of, maybe it even goes back further. So there's, there's a trauma throughout all of us from some sort of ancient, um, you know, uh, cataclysm, right? So they're preserved through song. Song's a great way to keep story um, alive, right? Absolutely, sure, because it embeds it in memory. Like when you sing it, it's there. It's just in you. Well, and think about um, with Alzheimer's or dementia, you know, when you play music from their childhood, they can't remember what they had for breakfast, but all of a sudden they can recite every word of the song. Like, what a great way to keep that in your memory. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're scratching the surface on this music thing. As advanced as right. we already are, right? We're scratching the surface. And uh, for my money, it goes way beyond science. I mean, science is going to be able to explain this stuff. But when you get down to it, what's the scientific explanation for why we have all these flood myths? That aren't actually myths, maybe. Yeah. Right? What's the science behind that? Are we being, I mean, I'm gonna sound like a conspiracy theorist here, right? Is, is global warming not a new thing? Is it a cyclical thing? Well, it, right? I mean, we did have is. an ice age not too long ago, <laughs> right? And it is cyclical. And, and for that's sure what, it is. what the world does, you know, it has ice ages and then it equalizes the temperature and then things get warmer for a while, and then they, you know, it's just like yeah. this, it's it's like the, the earth is breathing, you know. 
It's like it's alive or something. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> yeah, I mean, who would have thought of that? Living right? organism, so bizarre. Living organism, and it and it has you know like it 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 is constantly changing. That is, I think that's the thing that we do. Like, I'm not to say global warming's not happening and climate change isn't happening. It it definitely is. Um, I would just say it's more natural because it is happening because it is changing. Yeah, and we're also helping accelerate it. It's it's both. It's both yep. things. Uh, and if definitely we got to respect Mother Earth, but. If she didn't want us on the planet, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't let's be just, here. Let's just put it that way. We would not. And, we uh, would be gone. It's a self-regulating <laughs> system. Way more powerful. Too. You know, hey, eighty-nine yeah, percent of us are going to go poof in whatever the next natural disaster is. It's good that we know that, right? Yep. <laughs> because and we're still here. We we can survive. We're pretty. We're pretty good. And you know, you look at the funny thing is like, well, where's all the ancient uh, knowledge? And you're like, well, think about this, like. The most sophisticated, typically on the technological side of things, sometimes are the are the first to suffer when a huge cataclysm happens and the quote unquote grid goes down and all the yep. civilization goes down. Who 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 remaining are the best to get through that? It's the hunter gatherers. Oh yeah, the hunter gatherers. Yep. The first peoples all all of a sudden they become the ones that survive, and that's what happened. Is I we, that's what Graham Hancock and a lot of other people think is that we were there was a huge civilization. Let's call it Atlantis, maybe Lemuria, whatever. And then this great cataclysm happened, decimated it. It also rose uh, sea levels by 400 feet. So it put most places just completely underwater. That's why a lot of the really hot architecture or hot archaeology, like places to look that are awesome are all underwater because uh, those are all coastal cities. But um, yeah, it, it puts them all underwater. And then, you know, who is left over to survive? Well, the people that are civilized don't, like you and me, most of us out there, the grid goes down. I mean... We're, we're pretty screwed not to be all doom yeah. and gloom. It's just more <laughs> fact of the matter. Yeah. We don't really know how to survive, but the, the hunter gatherers in the Amazon or parts of Africa, you know, in the, um, in Australia, those people, would they even know? <laughs> right. They might not exactly. even know something's changed. Their, their life doesn't change at all. They're good. They're fine. And so oh, what great. would happen is there's, go oh, ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I was you just going to say there were just, there's just going to be, there would just be a bunch of hunter gatherers and then, a couple of fragments of our civilization people would be left over and maybe they would go to these hunter-gatherer places and teach them different things like agriculture, architecture, mathematics, astronomy. And, oh, wait, you look at all these myths, you know, the myth of Osiris or the myth of Quetzalcoatl down in Mexico, the myth of all these other cultures, they always talk about someone coming by boat, coming to the land and then teaching them civilization. And it's, again, all the same. Different yeah. names, different details story is always the same. So maybe that is what happened. And and it's weird because you look at Mesopotamia and all of a sudden it's like hunter-gatherer, hunter-gatherer, boom, agriculture, mathematics, geometry, yeah. you, know, you know, everything, astronomy, all of this stuff all overnight happens. So you got to wonder, was it taught by the survivors? Probably. The wisdom probably. keepers. The wisdom keepers, right? And And again, taught in what ways? Well, probably one of them would be through song. You know, that's a great way to preserve that information, especially for hunter-gatherer um, tribes and whatnot that would be using song and, and music already. And of course, we like to say that music is the universal language, but there might be a time where it's like the only way to communicate. Right? I've, Perhaps uh, that and telepathy. Yeah. I don't know. Well, so we, st <laughs> we started out how to, uh, to talk about like the cultural significance of First Peoples in Canada and how that's working and look at where the conversation has gone. We didn't even get to that place. Sorry, Bill. No, no, no. It's totally cool because here's the thing. We're in Africa right now 
I think I've told this story before, but I have a, a preacher friend who wanted me to be part of his praise band, you know, play keyboard. And so what kind of music do you want to do? He said, West Indian music. So that's for people who don't know, it's like the music of the Caribbean, basically. And um, if you look up West Indian music on Wikipedia, you're going to get like, I don't know, hundreds of genres of music within that giant blanket, right? So does that mean it's, I mean, pick one, right? What does it mean? Right. Well, um, so I made it, started to make some suggestions. He said, no, we can't do that. We can't do that. We can't do that. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. The origin of all this music is in where? West Africa. With like all of the beats in modern music come from West Africa. They come from the voodoo uh, tradition. I'll call it a tradition oh. to be kind. Like rock and roll beats, jazz, the whole thing. I mean, the, the migration of that musical tradition to North America through the Caribbean uh, is it's kind of obvious, you know, it's like, that's what exists. So I mentioned this to my pastor friend. He's like, oh my gosh, we can't do that. That's voodoo music. <laughs> and I'm like, well, what music isn't, <laughs> you know? Right. I mean, how insulated were the dead white guys up in Western Europe starting pre-Bach, you know? Um, and clearly we've got incredible appearances of that in the modern world with all the, the various subgenres of metal, um, mm. rap, you name it. I mean, it's, it's incredible, but, uh, this all connects to the first people's conversation because I suspect that if we were able to do a better job of singing each other's songs, there we go, I'll say it, we wouldn't have the cultural angst that we do these days mm. that appears in, in crazy, just non-self-sustaining uh, appearances of like anti-Semitism and racism and all these other isms. It's like, come on. Has anybody here ever learned and played or maybe heard or danced to some klezmer music? That'll change your whole idea about what it means to be Jewish. Klezmer is some of the most joyous, incredible, complicated stuff it I've really ever heard is. in my life, you know? And what about the, the West African, uh, every town has a, a, has a storyteller whose job it is to remember the stories of all the people in the village. They have to be able to sing them on demand, right? right. Sing them. The stories of everyone in the village are sung by this one individual whose responsibility it is to keep those stories alive. I mean, how different would it be if we learned to sing each other's music? And in, in the very long way of arriving at this simple question, and to bring it back to First Peoples, it's like, it, I'm wondering in Canada, which has done such a great job with, um, with reconnecting with First Peoples, like unlike America, um, has there been any effort to sort of learn the songs of their you know, primary cultures? Yeah, like Canada, you know, we look good on paper for this kind of stuff. Well, but that's what actual, counts, right? You got it. It's a political correctness thing, but I'm going beyond that. <laughs> sure, 100%. And yeah, we're doing great there. But when it comes to the uh, the actual role, I'm, you know, I'm not certainly like qualified necessarily to, to really get into the detail of all of this. But I, I would say, you know, like we, we do... The, some of the surface layer things, but there's nothing that gets to the core of the first people's culture and, mm -hmm. and actually learning about the essence of it, the spirit of it, you know, the, the real true meaning of these cultures. We never get into any of that. And we certainly don't learn any songs. Um, we give a lot of good uh, grants and stuff to indigenous artists, certainly a lot of good funding actually for, for that. There's a whole Sirius XM radio station specifically for indigenous music in Canada. Nice. Um, so there's, there's definitely good access to it, but you know, is it taught in schools at all? No. Is it, um, are we really brought into not only like the music, but the reasons for the music, you know, any explanation whatsoever as to why 
some of the spiritual and sacred songs were sung, or we just learn at best, you know, the myth of it. And the myth always just makes it feel to me, it's like, I don't know, it just feels so like, it clearly doesn't mean anything when we're defining it by some, it's like, it's a myth. And it's a story about this thing and this bird comes down or whatever, you know, something so kind of, it's, it's like, okay, sure. But like, you know, that these things always go deeper, right? The meaning yeah. of these, it's detached these songs from are the, far, far, you know, from the, the music from the spirit of it too. Right. And like the yeah. true, the true essence of, of these things. So, you know, we still have a long, I would say, I would say, and I'm sure like, well, I won't speak on behalf of anybody of uh, first peoples um, and, you know, descendants, but I, I, I can imagine that they would agree that there's a lot more to go. Um, and, and I think the, the big part is that is like you said, Bill, like why I wish in school, like I wanted to learn these songs and like these rhythms too. a lot of the fantastic drumming that comes. Oh my gosh. It's incredible. Such good it? drumming. Oh my God. Drum circles. I mean, just, Oh my God, what a transcendent experience. Right. And, uh, and to really get into like, why is that so incredible? Right. And, and the way they make the drums is a whole sacred, you know, process as, of, as well. And why is that so sacred? You know, like why, like, why can't we get into those, yeah. those nitty gritty details? Cause I think that's, that's where we would get a lot better, we would get a much better understanding for for these people, for one, and that would allow such a better bridge of connection. Because um, I think they they have a solid understanding of us. They do. I mean, we force their cult, our culture on them, and yeah. they have a very good idea of who we are. We have a very limited idea of who they are and where they come from. And I think if we can through music, I think that's a great suggestion. Like, why not learn? learn these songs, and then the best part about all that is when you can um, morph them together and have a hybrid. You know, where you take their culture and then you merge your culture and then you get to create some new music basically through that, which is my favorite part of oh, yeah. all that is is like I love playing with my friends who are playing, you know, um, like some uh, Tamil or Sanskrit ancient, you know, Indian music, for example, and I'll play some modern synth something else over top of it. It sounds awesome. It's yeah. like, it's so much fun. That's like we're doing you know? like with Ananda Mayo, it's Tibetan bowls and, and keyboard and like being able to blend that ancient and I don't want to call it modern, but yeah, you know, the sense of, oh, I mean, it's just you, you playing your style of piano over top of that. It's just, it, it's absolutely it's, mind bending. You know, I, I yeah, could sit like and to that for it gets, hours. It gets in your soul in a way that, yeah. you know, and that's why I'm so excited about that doing the West Indian praise band. You know, because it was an opportunity to bring a genre like praise music into connection with a a new kind of inflection, a new musical inflection that's actually really old and really ancient. You know, being able to transform that somehow. So yeah, let's. I mean, let's do this. I <laughs> I, I don't know that there's anybody in government who's going to listen to any of these kinds of ideas. But here we are being advocates for something that hasn't been tried yet, as far as we know. Why not take the initiative, and here in San Diego, we have lots of Native American tribes that surround us in Southern California. And on top of that layer, then there's also the ancient Mexican layer, which isn't quite so ancient, but it's there. So there's that culture and cultural influence. And as a white guy, I feel like very much like a colonizer here. Although <laughs> uh, in California anyway, at least our part of it, it's switching the other way around. It's like the Mexican, Central America, South America is starting to colonize Southern California. <laughs> which is changing the culture, right? And part of that, yeah. of course, is why Disney came out with that um, incredible movie, the Day of the Dead movie. Uh, what was it called? Oh, I didn't see that. Um, it's it's a wonderful, it, musically it's wonderful. And it's about 
the actual Mexican celebration of the Day of the Dead, the way it ought to be done, right? And the memory of the ancestors and all of that. And the music mm. is incredible. And it's, I mean, it's very intentional in terms of like crossing the cultures and blending them together, seen through the eyes of a child, you know, who's learning about his heritage for the first time. Mm. Uh, and that kind of thing is remarkable to me because it's done through music so well. And, you know, we're not Disney, but we can advocate for this. I mean, uh, I have in my family, my grandson is a, is a quarter native. Okay. And so this is close in, you know, and not being able to help care for the culture that is part of my grandson is, is important to me. I, I feel like I'm missing something, <laughs> you know, like where are the pieces? Some, somebody from one of the local bands help me understand, you know, teach me the music that is part of my grandson's heritage, you know, and because um, I want to know, but that's just me. And wouldn't it be amazing if, you know, like you said, in school. So I, I don't know where we're going with this. It's, it's obviously, it's, it's a different kind of consciousness than we often hear in the, um, in the world of politics when it comes to, you know, the government's care for, uh, well, the sad truth of the reservations that were made in the United States uh, for what we called Indians at the time uh, mm -hmm. just wasn't a skillful solution. And hey, go Native tribes because, you know, who owns the gambling business in the United States right now? <laughs> right? So if, right. if we can do any, it, it, it's getting there, but this is a different level of consciousness you and I are bringing to this already. And um, man, if there's a way to do this musically, to be able to create the bridges where there's currently a disconnect, um, how would that change? How could that change things, you know? Yeah, I think really just merging all of them together and, and creating music together with like just someone from each uh, culture and um, and just having a beautiful emergence of all of them and, and learning about each of them and then yeah. and then seeing how they can all coalesce together and 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 work together to create something even more beautiful because that's the coolest thing is that music can also teach you it teaches you that that diversity is a asset it's a it's a it's a it's always a good thing yeah. you know you need to you need to change things up creatively add in some diversity and I just I mean diversity in any like weird instruments you've never played from other cultures, weird scales or chord progressions you've never played from other cultures. Yeah. Of course, any any other musician from any other culture would add in a flavor you would never expect and never be able to write on your own. It's an absolute bulletproof solution for creative blocks, I'll tell you that. Definitely, you know? especially for musicians. Absolutely. You know, because we don't have to talk about it or write it down, you know, like in language. We can all read the same sort of, chord charts or rhythm charts or whatever the basic thing is, or even just sit down and somebody starts a beat and everybody else just picks up and jams with it. And oh, that's my favorite. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's so completely organic. And I, I'm hoping that we're going to get at least audio, maybe video of your trip to Mexico where you get to do music inside of these ancient structures with modern people and see how that, see the response, right? Because even oh, yeah. though like the ancient people is, aren't there, their their edifice their container is there for us to go and and play around in and hopefully to pick up on their energy you know that's still left in that space and their intention of creating that space i'm, I'm just fascinated by this stuff i mean as you can probably oh, me too. i'll shut up for me, a minute <laughs> i mean we, we could talk about it for a long time but i mean you know i, I think one last thought for me is um, and this is just a really fun way that i love to explore new places is through music right and, and we can do this through food of course great way to experience cultures through food as well Food and music, I'd say, maybe my top two. There we go. Um, and and one of the best is like you go to a new place and just I look up and I'm trying to find I want to find like local 
musicians and and try to find like the ones i honestly any good music is good music but try to find the local um uh you know traditional uh types of music and try to see that so when i remember being in portugal I'd look at fado guitar which is an uh, old you know portuguese folk guitar um type of music and quite different than the flamenco guitar of spain which i would go see as well and just fell in love with that genre which is what a couple hundred miles away and there's these two not even that and they're so different you know yeah. And then I could hear in the music of a certain flamenco guitar, this Middle Eastern influence on some of the scales and some of the notes. I was like, oh, my God. And then, of course, you hear through their history. Of course, there's all this uh, migration and, and mix of, of cultures, too, there. So it, you can you can get a history lesson just through music. It's, I mean, it's just music is a it's just an amazing way to experience culture. And I think that's a great way for us to be able to become more tolerant and respectful towards all and others is just get into each other's music. <laughs> Seriously. Although I have to draw the line at some genres where I'm not quite there yet. Me personally, not (laughs) everybody, but just me, right? There are some things, like it took me a while to get into hip hop and rap, and it took me a while to get into ska. Um, There are aspects of metal that I'm still like not completely down with, but in terms of complexity, metal really lights me up intellectually because of the polyrhythms and, oh, it's it's incredible. Yeah, I think I have to watch it for my brain or listen to it for my brain. But it's uh, it's it's an acquired taste, and some of the, uh, especially when the culture is so different from yours, the, the taste of a culture that is brand new, that is completely unusual, that you've never heard before, may really off-putting. Uh, I got to hear a, well, I'm going to call it Persian. So I got to hear some Persian music, authentic, the kind of music that would have been played for Sufi dancers thousands of years ago, and um, some of the instruments that are used are very difficult for a Western ear to hear. Mm. And I was in a college environment, so this was, you know, it was like, it it was a a nailed up presentation with virtuoso musicians. Like, it was incredible. And there was a neuroscience part of it too. So this guy was explaining neuroscience and instruments. And it was, was, you know, phenomenal, but hard to listen until you learn to, right? And it's easier, I think, for musicians like you and me, we would learn to listen quicker than someone who's just like listening to pop all the time or whatever. And that's not a judgment yeah. call. It's just like, you know, you, you train your brain, right? So as you become more uh, immersed, it starts to speak to you like internally rather than just being sounds that you hear with your ears. Mm. And that's the moment when it comes alive. And all of a sudden you realize that, oh my God, I can, I can track seven, five, 12, 11, you know, if it changes every measure, I can track it for some reason. How did I do that? You know, and, uh, but it doesn't matter because you're in it, you know, and all of a sudden the dance makes sense or whatever it is. And that's, that's a beautiful moment. You know, I just wish that for everybody. If you have a chance to, to grok a moment like that, go search for it. Like Chris, like you're saying, you know, if you go into town and it's new, go out in the town square and start listening. And if you hear some music, go that way. Yeah. Follow <laughs> the music. And who knows? where that could lead you take some courage right <laughs> drop me in the middle you know of uh somewhere and it's an adventure i uh if it's if it's terrible that's that's even that's great too it's all part of the story <laughs> it's all part you of know? the story the story yeah. that we're all telling right story of life story of life thank you for listening in on our conversation and for taking time to show your appreciation with a like share or subscribe Discussions of Music, Healing, and Consciousness is a practice of spontaneity, and we welcome your comments, ideas, and questions. 
There are ways to connect with us in the show notes, so let us hear from you. Until next time, this is Bill Protzman along with Chris Noble wishing you great musical health. Samara Huchaya. Huchaya.